Hey, Alex here. Before we jump into today's recording, I wanted to remind you that all of the information in this recording is for informational and educational purposes only. The information shared should not be construed as investment or tax advice. Please consult a competent financial or tax professional to discuss your situation before using any of the strategies or topics that we discuss here. Thanks for listening. One other quick thing before we get started today. If you're thinking about starting a business or if you already have one, I wanted to tell you about the accounting software that we use for our clients, Zero. That's X-E-R-O, and you can find them at www.zero.com. I have used other accounting platforms in the past for clients, but Zero bar none is the best accounting platform out there. I have had clients come to me after bringing them to Zero. And they have told me that they felt empowered to use the platform after seeing their simple user interface. Zero's slogan is beautiful business, which represents Zero's thriving business technology platform and global community. Beautiful business highlights the power of Zero's powerful counting platform and community supporting small businesses to help them work past the chaos, uncertainty, and stress to reclaim valuable time and thrive. Over the last five years, I have used Zero exclusively with our clients, and I have met some amazing people at that company. People are always friendly and are always ready to help when it's needed. Whether you're just getting started or are a thriving company, Zero has the tools you need to help keep your accounting records straight, reduce time each month associated with doing the backend bookkeeping, and helps you track KPIs with their powerful reporting tools. Check them out at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O. I feel like I'm both the um, the student and the test subject because I'm trying to do like both at the same time. Like I'm trying to understand more of my business because I, I don't think about a lot of that stuff. That's more or less what I let you do for me. Yeah. Um, and I just want, I want to learn more and I want to be able to take what you know and put it into plain English. So like, people like me who are busy. Yeah. Who are busy, who are working on their business or juggling who knows what can think about these things and know what actions they should be taking. So what what is is it that I do? Well, so for the last five years, I've been working with clients in the online space Mm -hmm. that I'm providing what originally started out as a Bookkeeping service has expanded out into working with clients more from a strategic standpoint to help them actively and proactively reduce their tax bill legally and finding ways where they can and ways and places where they can put money uh, for them uh, you know, to use in the future from you know from a tax beneficial standpoint um, and also just to have have those benefits and even just hiding their income. Uh, yeah, legally. The uh, <laughs> should have got another should have got another copy before we jumped into this. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only two in for the day. The um, and then even 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 with that, what we've done so far is you know we've even started working more and more from the tax preparation, tax uh, tax filing part of the uh, part of the service, and uh, even with some clients who work with them in a outsourced CFO uh, uh, service. Where basically we we look at their financials and their um, operating metrics and financial metrics from a twenty thousand foot view and try to make informed decisions at the macro level that can help them make more money, have more profit, have more free cash flow, and all those types of wonderful financial jargon terms that we use as accountants. So yeah, that's a little bit of uh, just a little. Um, Man, really needed coffee. Yeah, <laughs> you <need a> coffee. <laughs> I was already supposed to have one meeting this morning, and it just uh, it got canceled. So I was, re- I was hoping to have the brain juice just flowing already this morning. But <laughs> already now it's, it's, it's one o'clock Eastern time now, and I'm still like, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Anyways, so you, you know, it's uh, we'll 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 flush that out later. But yeah, um, yeah. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it, and uh, you know, I'm curious to learn kind of like what your questions are and you know see what that looks like and 
start elaborating on those topics and then we can kind of dive deeper into those topics yeah. through the conversation. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things um, is kind of, I don't know if there is a stigma out there, but like you think about, um, I forget, maybe it was recently, but I remember there was some like outrage over like, you know, someone like Jeff Bezos being like, he paid like X amount in taxes and everyone's like all mad and stuff. And then yeah. whether people think that's fair or not, I think we forget that like they have, they, or, you know, the people who can, you know, have a lot of money and can pay people to figure out like, okay, what are the rules that we, you know, we're operating under? How can we legally reduce our tax burden? Right. Because like whether let's, let's put all like morals and ethics aside, like whether you believe in taxes or don't believe in taxes, like, no one really wants to like freely give away their money, right? Like if they make money, no one wants to like, oh yeah, just here, you know, take take my money for no reason. And right. people who are way up there probably have a lot of resources to figure out how do I bring my burden down? Um, and then there's people like me, small little online entrepreneur, or like we have, we have other friends who are doing work in this space where like most of their work is online or working with clients or consulting um, who are very busy, but aren't up in that upper echelon where it's like, we can afford someone to like go in and be like, figure this out for me. Like, I don't want to pay a ton of taxes. F f what are the rules? What can I legally do to, to reduce this burden? Um, and I, I don't know if there is that stigma. Cause like, I think some people think it's, you know, kind of sleazy, but at the same time, it's like, no, there's, these are all rules. We're all playing under, like we play by the same rules, whoever you are, however much you make, there's different rules. There's a lot of rules. <laughs> I think that's what makes it very confusing, especially for someone like me. You sent me one page, section 179 about uh, a Hummer loophole or something about writing off automobiles, which we can always get into. And that was just one little section of like, whatever the big tax is. Thousands of pages of tax yeah. code, right? And I don't have time to read through that. And that's what like someone like you comes in where it's like, you figure out these creative solutions. And I say creative because that's that's what it is. It's like, you're looking at what are the rules? What can you do that still benefits you in some way um, and reduces your tax burden, right? Right. Um, the one thing you had mentioned, the, the first thing that happened to me which was when I left my full-time job, I started doing some consulting and other little gigs in here and there. And you're like, you need to set up an escort. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm not a corporation. Like I think of like a big building and secretaries and stuff like that. And that's not what that is. It's just a piece of paper, right? That says, that says what? I think that's kind of the first thing. I was like, I asked you, what is like one thing, what are like the main things people should know what to do? And right. you brought about the S-Corp. And I know you're very gung-ho on the S-Corp. Well, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that. And that's a great lead into the <laughs> conversation. Really good job on that, uh, structuring that kind of leading in question. Really first, before I jump into that, you know, a lot of the, the issues, I think, in the accounting industry and a lot of issues from accountants and tax professionals that pe and why people get so frustrated, individuals and business owners get so frustrated with when they see and this is just my my theory. There's no backup to it, but mm -hmm. just what I see in, in the macroeconomic world, where people get frustrated when they see Jeff Bezos, like you said, pay zero taxes on billions of dollars in revenue every single year. And when you're looking at small individuals that aren't, you know, they don't have a whole team of accountants that don't have all these things. They might they might just go to H and R Block or their local tax guy down the street once a year, talk to the guy or girl once a year and say, hey, here's how much I made last year to help me with my tax return. And the problem is, is with that is, you know, for H&R Block for, you know, the, you know, not, not to pick on them or anything, but, or to pick on the guy that works down the street or girl that works down the street, that's an accountant or a tax preparer. They're not incentivized to be proactive with their clients. Mm -hmm. And that's probably, I, I feel where I see a lot of frustration um, for individuals and where that might be stemming from because it's like, well, like, wh like, why do they get this and I don't? And it's not that you don't get it. It's just because the problem is in the accounting industry, a lot of 
CPAs or accounts or tax professionals, tax preparers, EAs, all these, you know, jargon names that we use, um, they are not incentivized to do it because they, I, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't, I can't speak for them. But for me, it's always, okay, how can I help this client get the most benefit for what they're working with always? And maybe it's just an individual thing. Maybe it's a self proclaim self-righteousness, I guess, to a degree, if you will, yeah. where it's just me wanting to help as many people as possible. And that that's where my wanting to help people comes from is to say, you know, accounting is, is, is okay. Audit is terrible. I don't want to play an audit. I love playing in tax. And uh, audit is just very, very dry and boring. You think general accounting is just dry and boring? Go take an audit class. I promise you won't make it past the first 20 minutes of the first class. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, um, and not knocking on the auditors out there if anybody's listening to it but, or, or reading this, but the, um, I just really feel that, that those people aren't incentivized to it. Why? I don't know. Now, to moving into the S-Corp election, yeah, the S-Corp election is a really fun thing because a lot of clients that we talk to, when they come to us, they are either set up as an LLC or they're not set up at all. And if they did set it up nine times out of 10, they did it with something like LegalZoom and they're like, they just click five buttons, they put their credit card information in, they don't know what they did. Mm-hmm. And like, they're like, okay, well, I'm, I guess I'm good now. This massive company says I'm, I'm okay. And that's not accurate per se. And you know, there's there's a lot of you know, everyone's case is very specific. Everyone's case is very individual, and you have to take a look at it from an individual standpoint. Um, now, if you're a business owner and you have an LLC set up, one of the things that you can do is the S corp election, and it's really beneficial when you start making above forty to fifty thousand dollars a year in profit. Um, so revenue minus expenses is your profit. And after that amount, you start to see a lot of substantial tax savings coming into play and benefiting individuals and business owners. Why? Well, the reason why is because as an LLC, there's a, there's a term called single member LLC. Mm-hmm. A single member LLC is somebody who's just the only person whose name is on the LLC. There's no other partners. It's just one individual. And from a tax standpoint, you have to look at it from a tax standpoint and a legal standpoint. So you have a legal standpoint where the LLC provides legal protection of separation of assets from the individual and the business. So God forbid something terrible happens and the business um, has a lawsuit against it and the lawsuit, you lose the lawsuit, you have to pay $100,000. Well, let's just say you have the LLC in place you only have $40,000 of liquidatable assets, which means liquidatable assets is inventory or cash or something that you can get to cash really fast. Um, you only have $40,000 of that. Well, you can just pay off 40,000, declare bankruptcy on the LLC, doesn't affect your personal credit, doesn't affect anything as an individual. And then you close up shop and then you, know, you, you figure it out from there, right? And then you deal with the lawyers on the back end. But the, the benefit there is you have that separation of assets from the individual to from and the business, right? So like, that lawsuit can't touch your home, can't touch your car, can't touch your retirement accounts, none of that stuff. So that's why you want to have that in place. Now, from a tax standpoint, the drawback is, is that the IRS says, all right, cool, you're a single member LLC. And for whatever reason, they say that they your tax classification or consideration for from a tax basis is the same as if you didn't have the LLC at all. Hmm. And the IRS doesn't care if you right. And the IRS doesn't care if you're an LLC or anything. They just care about tax. They don't care yeah. about legal entity structure and all this other stuff. Yeah. And uh, the drawback with that is, is you, on your individual tax return, any profit that you have gets reported through Schedule C, mm-hmm. which is or addendum C, however you want to call it, but we call it Schedule C of your 1040, 1040 being your individual tax return. Um, and there's a attachment to that schedule C called 1040 SE or self-employment tax. Mm -hmm. Self-employment tax represents both sides of social security, Medicare tax. Now, a lot of people don't realize, but uh, realize this, but when you receive a W-2 or a paycheck every week, every month from your job, or if you ever had a W-2, you look at your W-2 pay stub and say, hmm, social, social security, Medicare withholding. Um, and what that represents is half of social security, Medicare tax. The other half is expensed 
through the entity or through your employer, and they get to expense that off the income statement. Mm -hmm. Now, the drawback here is any profit, like let's say you're I like using round numbers and round math. So it easy. Uh, <laughs> on, on, your, on your pay stub, you see 6.2% withholding and 1.45% withholding. That's for social security, Medicare tax mm -hmm. accordingly, right? So 6.2 for social security, 1.45 for Medicare. And that equals 7.65%. So in total, if you're looking at both halves, that's 15.3%. Okay. Now, if you had $100,000 profit on your, you know, if you're doing a side hustle with um, eBay and you're flipping products and you're going to, you know, doing the Gary Vaynerchuk route where you're, you know, <laughs> hustling and trying to go for a garage selling and trying to flip products or, you know, whatever this type of stuff is, that income that you have, that profit that you have is going to be taxed on the full amount of the 15.3%, say $100,000. Mm -hmm. So that's $15,300 of tax that you have to pay. Um, which represents both pieces again of social, yeah. social security, Medicare tax. And that's before you even touch federal and even before you touch state income tax, if you live in a state where there is state income tax. Oof. Now, the benefit of having uh, the S Corp is what you do is you make an election with the IRS. Mm -hmm. It's through form 2553. Um, and you make the election and the effective date of what you want it. You fill out the information accordingly and you um, to send it in. So every year you have three months, no, two months and 15 days from the beginning of the tax year uh, to submit this election if the LLC is already in existence or if it's a brand new LLC and you're creating a new company from the effective date of the LLC. So when you file the papers with the Secretary of State or with Legal Zoom or some third party. Um, you have two months of 15 days or 75 days to get that election submitted and filed. Um, and if you don't get that done in time, you can either request a late election and you can backdate that up to three count up to three tax years, um, which would mean you have to redo tax returns and all that fun mm -hmm. stuff. So it's kind of, you know, you have to kind of guesstimate what makes more sense mm -hmm. uh, from a tax standpoint and a planning standpoint. Um, but you can backdate that up to three years, um, on, on the uh, on the election, if you need to file a election, you have to give a good reason as to why you missed the deadline. Um, but whenever you get the election filed, roughly two to three months later, you will, you'll receive a letter in the mail from IRS saying, "Hey, congratulations, you're now an S corp." Mm -hmm. And with COVID still going on, it's taking actually. I talked to the IRS a little over a week ago, and they're taking six months to process these applications and these Jeez. requests for for a leaf for relief for S corp election um, status. Mm -hmm. So you could be waiting quite a while right now for that, whatever reason, whatever that reason is, I don't know. Um, but everyone seems to be using the excuse of COVID to take more time to do things. So I, whatever. Um, but as far as the IRS is concerned, we still have to get our tax returns done on time. Yeah. So like, you know, we can't, we can't use COVID as an excuse for this, <laughs> this yet. Now the IRS might be coming out. The IRS might be coming out with a ruling or an extension for everybody to get um, to send in their tax returns later this year. Mm -hmm. Still, so we we have to kind of wait and hold out for that. Um, now, as far as the S corp election, once you have the S corp election approved, your tax filing process changes, and your tax status changes. Mm -hmm. So over the course of the year. Um, you have to maintain your records, maintain your books, and make sure you're on track on top of everything. And at the end of the year, going back to the $100,000 example we used a few minutes ago, um, you have to assign a salary to the shareholders um, at the end of the year. You can wait until December 30th, December 31st to make that determination. Mm -hmm. And um, then from there, you create a pay stub for yourself and effectively a W-2 and you do all the filing requirements and forms and everything. And in most cases, you can save at least 50%, if not more, of what would have been that social security Medicare tax that you paid as an individual single member LLC. How does that work? Well, say, you know, again, $100,000 before your um, before uh, your salary consideration. So let's say you want to assign yourself a $50,000 salary. That salary is now an expense to the company. Mm -hmm. 
So which is really cool. And you get to expense that through the PNO, or the income statement. And now the business, the business is going to expense part of that social security, Medicare tax off of your W-2 mm-hmm. or your pay stub for the year. And then you're going to have that expense on your pay stub as well. So you're still paying the 15.3%. You can't get out of it. Yeah. But the benefit is, is you still, you get to minimize your exposure to that total tax because once you assign the salary for yourself, whatever is left over is passed through to the individual on what's called the K-1 form or K-1 form that we call it. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really cool about the K-1 form is whatever is left over. So you have $100,000, less $50,000 for salary, less another two or $3,000 for the business expensing the portion of the Social Security Medicare tax. So you're left mm-hmm. with $47,000 or so. And then on that K-1, you only have to pay federal and or state or and and state if you have if you live in a state where there is state tax um with that so you just effectively cut your social security medicare tax exposure by half which would have saved you roughly seven thousand five hundred seven thousand six hundred dollars in dollar for dollar in tax savings right off the top now back in the early 2000s what the irs figured out was a lot of these companies were taking escort collections and they were the the people that were running these companies were saying, oh, like uh, on a million dollars, they're going to claim a dollar salary. Well, no, you can't do that. And the IRS figured it out, and they audited everybody really, really fast. And a lot of those people lost, and they had to pay penalties and back taxes mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. That's not that's not nice. Now, the there is a term in the world of S corps called reasonable compensation. That's a fancy term that the IRS uses saying, what would you pay to somebody else to replace yourself in a salary? That's how much you should pay yourself. Mm. Now, that is up for debate. That's up for interpretation. And a lot of accountants have different ways of calculating that. Um, you know, sometimes some CPAs, some accounts that I work with with other clients, they say, hey, it can be as low as 30% or 40% of, of income before salary. So if on 100,000, they can just pay 35,000 mm-hmm. and be okay. I prefer to be slightly less risky because to me, that's more risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to be less risky and have a lower audit risk for the company and pay a higher salary, mm-hmm. minimum 40%. But usually that 50% is a really nice sweet spot because that helps, uh, helps a lot of things from a planning perspective moving forward and why 50 percent well if you're doing less than a quarter million in profit before your salary um 50 would put you at if you're at a quarter million 50 percent will put you at one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in salary well that actually maxes out your contributions for social security medicare tax or almost does it's about 128 it's like 128 thousand dollars and change for um, maxing out your contributions to social, social security medicare tax so, um, you know, the IRS is more concerned and the Social Security Administration's office is more concerned with paying up those taxes and it's making sure that things are getting paid and things are getting checked off. But if you're doing less than a quarter million, I like to play the 50% game with clients because the reason being is what you pay up over the course of the year through your salary contributions, let's go back to the $100,000 example. You're living in a vacuum, you have no kids, you're not married, just very, very straightforward, dry scenario. Not me. Uh, and that's, that's not, that's not how life is, but it's, you know, you can, you know, like, and every client is different, right? So we try mm-hmm. to figure it out. We, we, we flush it out, at, you know, case by case. Um, but just for a vacuum living scenario and not having anything else going on, um, you know, you would have as an individual, you have $50,000 of federal and or state contributions um, over the course of the year. And then you'd have $40,000, $46,000 in tax left over that you have to pay up. Now, that higher tax is taxed at a higher effective tax bracket, just because mm-hmm. as you move to the tax brackets, you pay more in tax. But the idea is to cancel out whatever that you've paid in will offset what you have to owe. Okay. Right? That's kind of like the, the idea uh, with that. And that's not considering any other you know, strategies, nothing else like that we can use, no home office, no none of that. And now that I'm mentioning home office, the only drawback with the S-Corp election is that you are still an LLC at the state level. Remember, mm-hmm. you're an S-Corp at the, at the tax level with the government, right? The federal government. So the only real drawback with the uh, S-Corp is you can't use home office deduction. 
So the S corps don't don't allow you to use the home office deduction. But what a lot of clients will see when we do the math with them is that their savings are bigger by taking the S corp election and mitigating their social security Medicare taxes than it would have been for the deduction mm-hmm. or for that because the deduction is different than a dollar for dollar tax savings, right? So the deduction offsets your taxes by let's just say 20% or so, 15 to 20% per yeah. dollar on every, so 15 to 20 cents on every dollar of tax savings for every $1 of deductions, yeah. not dollar for dollar tax yeah. savings. Yeah. So I know with the, the, the big thing with the S Corp is, is, is a salary thing. So under an LLC, you know, if you're, if you're just, for example, another online entrepreneur, you have a couple clients. Um, everything that's coming in is just coming. It's just taxed for whatever bracket you you fall in. Whereas with an LLC, money is going into the business. You're paying yourself money, and then you yeah. have some taxes. Yeah, out of the S corp, paying yourself a salary, and then any profit that's left over. What happens to that profit? So, like doing that hundred thousand. Let's say you pay yourself. Yeah there's 50 left over in the business what happens to that fifty thousand dollars? so regardless or not if you leave the cash in the bank you're taxed on it or not okay <laughs> so you can't just be like i'm and is that is that kind of what the the idea behind like if you know these s corps that brought in a million dollars had a one dollar salary and kept the majority of it in, in the business well i mean it, it you it really it's just it's just the way that the law is written. So the law the law states that you must assign a salary to the shareholders um, before December thirty on or before December thirty first. Mm-hmm. That's the law, right? Now, when people are getting smart with the one dollar salary or five dollar salary, whatever, it's because the reason why that they did that is they didn't want to pay Social Security Medicare tax, mm-hmm. right? Because what would end up happening is they just pay federal and or state on their pass through on the K-1 and just then like, they just pay federal, right? So Got they get away it. with the social security Medicare tax. Yeah. But the IRS figured out what everyone was doing and that, that didn't go over very well, <laughs> just say, to put it, to put it lightly. Um, the, um, you know, as far as keeping the cash in the bank or not now, you know, you can take draws on the business. You can take, you know, profit out of the company because, the S corp is what's called a pass through entity. Mm-hmm. The pass through entity definition is something that, you know, whatever the profits are left over at the end of the year gets passed through intact to the shareholders proportionately yeah. of their of their holdings and equity um, for the company, right? So, it's you know, like let's say you and I go in on a business and you own sixty percent, I own forty percent, and there's a hundred thousand dollars in profit left over after our salary considerations. You get a K one for sixty grand, I get a K one for forty grand, right? And then that would be taxed a little bit right. differently. But the kind of, the, then you mentioned the sweet spot is just trying to figure out like, what is that salary number that, re, you know, benefits you and reduces kind of that whole tax burden overall versus like, you know, you can't take a $1 salary and it's probably not advisable to take the whole amount, uh, 100%. Um, yeah, you, you wouldn't want to do that because you you want to really try to find that sweet spot and mm-hmm. uh, because the thing is if you're going to take a full salary on the profit you're negating the benefit of the social security medicare tax saving yeah which well, i'm pulling up the document you sent um yesterday and i i just find it so funny that they don't have that number that sweet spot so well defined because literally this i i gotta read this like Section 179, it's defining like what kind of trucks you could um, write off. And it's it's so specific. It's like no body, it's describing a car being like no body section protruding more than 30 inches ahead of the leading edge of the windshield. <laughs> like that is like so clear. And then like this thing is like, well, you know, there's no rest. <laughs> that's you know, that's the problem with tax law a lot of times where it's like you know you have very like you said very very specific like for example if you want section 179 bonus appreciation and you want to have a you know it, it, it kills me the irs uses the term luxury car and we'll come back to what we're talking about here yeah sometime. yeah this is the the uh it kills me because they use the term luxury car any car that has an mgvr or modified gross weight of the vehicle less than six thousand pounds so you know like effectively just like the the empty weight of the vehicle is less than 6,000 pounds. 
that is a luxury car. So it could be a 1985 Honda Accord. And I'm not, not, I'm not knocking a Honda. My first car was a Honda Civic. So Love whatever. Hondas. But like, you know, a 1985 Honda Civic, and that could be classified as what they actually, by definition, call a luxury vehicle. Wow. That is the actual definition of a luxury vehicle. Now you have these other modified vehicles and different asset classes within the asset class of cars itself and different, you know, weight classifications and different things that allow you to do, to do different things like the Hummer, you know, depreciation loophole and these types of things. But we can get to that in a little bit. But yeah, the problem is with the, um, the problem with tax law is some things are, are, are not very specific and other things are very specific. And that's, uh, I, I appreciate that you brought that up because a lot of things are open to interpretation mm-hmm. and depending on who's sitting shotgun with AKA your accountant, at the end of the year, you could be working with somebody that, that prefers slightly more risk or slightly less risk. Mm-hmm. And that is really up to the individual on their risk tolerance because they, it, it would make sense for them to work and partner with somebody that matches their risk tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could say, all right, well, yeah, like, you know, because it is vague, there's a thing called, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the compensation, the, um, reasonable compensation mm-hmm. and it's vague. It's like, okay, well, what would you pay to replace somebody for what you're doing every day of the year? Now there are companies out there and reporting things out there that help us where um, you would break out actually every activity that you do. Like, let's say you spend 10 hours a week on clerical work, 10 hours a week on accounting work and 20 hours on consulting work mm-hmm. every week. And then you go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics if you want to get really technical and you figure out what the hourly rate for all those responsibilities are multiplied over the course of the year and figure out, okay, this is where you are. Yeah. That could be, the, and that's a very technical way because you could make the argument where if you have a really low salary over the course of the year in terms of percentage wise and these other things, and you got you could audit it, you could say, well, hey, look, I went to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Bureau of Labor Statistics office. It said that clerical gets 15 bucks an hour. It says accounting gets 18 bucks an hour. And it says consulting gets 35 bucks an hour. And my profit for the year was 200 grand. So I paid myself a $45,000 salary. Mm-hmm. You can make that argument. But from a simplicity standpoint and from a you know, fairly lower risk standpoint, um, you know, we can start playing with that, with that you know, slider, if you will, yeah. um, as profit increases and all these other things before salary considerations. Because like, for example, we work, you know, one of our friends, one of my clients, he does really well as a consultant and he probably has a percentage of, of, of his profit in these things. He um, does somewhere between 35 and 40% of uh, profit over the course of the year because that was the recommendation from his account. And I'm over here kicking and screaming saying, raise the salary. His account says, you're paying too much, right? And it's this kind of back and forth. because It's a family account, so they prefer to work in a CPA capacity with him. And then I do the kind of back end stuff. So it's always, and that's where accounts get on each other's nerves, where it's like, it's within the law. It's within the scope of the law. We're fine, but we're just arguing over how much you want to pay. Yeah, I never thought <laughs> and, of it. And then the risk tolerance. I never thought of it that way in terms of um, risk, because there is some interpretation involved. I think myself personally want to take as little risk as possible because I'm not someone who has the time, the resources or the energy to like deal with an audit. So I'm totally fine with being like, let's just be really conservative and figure out what that looks like. And I think um, that obviously changes per person, per situation, per how how much money their business is making. Because again, you get up to that Jeff Bezos level, you can take a lot of risk because you got, you can hire a lot of people to help Employers protect accounts and probably yeah. half IRS accounts that are working under the company. <laughs> and it's like, they know, they know the tricks and tricks of the trade for everybody. So yeah, there, there is like those things. So, I mean, you know, going back to my initial comment where like the, the people like accountants aren't incentivized to be proactive. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's maybe because they're worried about, they recommend something for their client and then they get the client gets audited or something. The client loses the audit. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like, the only way you lose an audit is if you don't have a good paper trail. Yeah. And you can't back up what you're trying to deduct over, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Right. So like, that's the only reason why you lose an audit and um, the, uh, or, or have an audit find is, is the technical term, but the uh, um, you know, generally speaking, 
S corps have a, all tax returns have an audit risk. They have this inherent mm-hmm. audit risk. And the risk of audit for S corps is actually lower than individual um, mm-hmm. tax returns. So it's somewhere around, I believe the last statistics that I read was about 0.4%. Wow. Was the audit risk for an S corp. The individual audit risk is somewhere about 0. 0.6, 0.7%. Something like wow. That. So it's actually twice as more risky to file an individual tax. my own taxes. So let's kind of uh, segue into, you mentioned the, the word incentives. And I think, um, I think that plays a role into these ideas behind, I, some people like, like I mentioned at the beginning where it's, there, there's a stigma where it's like anyone who kind of, angles is kind of sleazy and kind of being tricky um but i'm assuming like i I, i've never really read into tax laws or studied history of taxes and whatnot but my understanding is like taxes are are there to incentivize you to to take some kind of action so like something like the hummer loophole which they call it a hummer loophole i'm assuming there's an incentive there's a reason why the IRS is saying like, hey, you can reduce your tax burden by buying a vehicle. And, and my assumption is like that helps stimulate the economy. You're buying, you're buying cars, you're paying for mechanics, buying gas. Like there's obviously a reason for like, they're not like, yeah, there's a write-off if you buy a, a diamond ring or something like that, which I don't know if there is, but it, it, there's obviously a reason why it's, there's something specific for like automobiles. Um, and I'm sure there's there's other things like um, other things you can write off or depreciate. Yep. Big words that I'm learning now. <laughs> um, so, as a um, small business owner, online digital entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, what do some of those like incentive incentives look like? You know, for example, writing off uh, a car. Now, that I, I'm assuming you know. This is a situation I imagine. You're buying a car through your business. It needs to be used for the business somehow, right? Like, he's like again, in, up for interpretation, right? Um, but it can also be used, pers- you know, personally. But you have to track that. What are? I mean, we can talk about that one because that one seems pretty straightforward. I'm doing air quotes. Um, but like, there's what other incentives out there for someone like me? Um, who does this type of line of work to, um, again, re- reduce this tax burden, but do so in a way that's legal and in a way is still beneficial for, for everyone involved. Yeah. Well, there, 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 there's a, a couple of big ones out there and we can start with cars uh, for sure. Now, cars are very, uh, you know, very interesting from, from a tax standpoint and depreciation standpoint, but from from what you mentioned, yes, the, you know, the, the reason why taxes exist is to either incentivize somebody to do something or prevent somebody from doing something. For example, doing something, that's why, not doing something. Yeah. yeah. For example, that's why there's such a high tax on tobacco because mm-hmm. like, people like generally understood that tobacco will cause lung cancer mm-hmm. and among other things, right? So there's a reason why that exists. And, you know, going back to, you know, having, um, you know, you have a car. So, you know, a car, for example, there, there's different asset classes for what the IRS makes definitions for. And mm-hmm. cars or vehicles are an asset class of five years. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, if you hold a car, if you bought the car brand new, um, you would determine what something that's called the residual value. So the residual value is effectively the scrap value of the vehicle. Okay. And then you would take the purchase price of the vehicle less the residual value, divide that number by five years to get what we call straight line depreciation. Okay. And so straight line depreciation is one of the three major methods of depreciation. It's one of the more straightforward ones. Um, you know, there's uh, what we call makers, which is modified accelerated depreciation schedules. We have double declining balance and, you know, we, then we have straight line. So uh, I think I remember this from my high school economics (laughs) or something like it sounds so familiar like i haven't needed to think about it since but um, right but from but from a you know from a straightforward standpoint the easiest way to do the math is obviously to you know 
do straight line because that's the easiest thing to visualize in your head. So let's say you bought a car for $25,000. The residual value of the car is $5,000. Scrap value is $5,000. Brand new, so you'd appreciate five years, which means you can claim depreciation expense up to $4,000 a year. Okay. So from that basis, if from there, you have to make sure that over the course of the year, at minimum, the car is being used at least 50% of the time for business to be used for depreciation on the, on the car. Now, any sliding percentage between 50% and 100% would actually be classified as income on your W-2. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you don't actually depreciate it. You actually have it classified as income to the owner of the company for that. So like, let's say you have 50% a year for mileage, you get to depreciate $2,000, but then you have like this, like kind of, if you will, fringe benefit for the owner of the company that has this vehicle, mm-hmm. they receive $2,000 worth of income because they're using it for personal use for half the time. Okay. Right? So you have to <laughs> you know, be aware of that. And it's, it's, it's non-cash income is, mm-hmm. is, is, the, is, is effectively what, what the term that is used, right? And, um, you know, with that, you can depreciate the vehicle. You can have all these things you can use uh, for um, any purpose that you, you, you need. Now, to make sure that you're maintaining at least the 50%, I use a platform called Mile IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, it plugs in, actually, they got bought up by Microsoft a few years ago. So if you had the premium subscription to Microsoft Office, it's actually included in your monthly payment. Wow. Or if you want to pay it outside of it, six bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one of the things. Now, another big thing out there is um, if you do not have an S-Corp election and you want to use the home office uh, deduction, one of the things that you can use is you can actually depreciate part of the home over the 30 years. So uh, the, uh, the home has a 30-year asset life. That's mm-hmm. the depreciable value of the, of, the, of, the, of the home. And you actually depreciate and have the expense of the home be written off as an expense for the portion of the office that you're using, right? Wow. So you can do that. Um, and another one is, um, let's see, uh, self-employed uh, SEP IRAs. So another big one, we were actually talking about this this past week as I was talking mm-hmm. to, you know, taught as well about it but scp iras are really fun so if you do set up an s corp and you give yourself a w2 let's say your w2 is fifty thousand dollars you can contribute an expense up to 25 percent of contributions from your w2 of the course of the year so your salary is fifty thousand you can have contributions non-income contributions of twelve thousand five hundred dollars over the course of the year which expenses off of the income statement off the business which further reduces your tax liability at the end of the year. Wow. So now you have it, you're like, go back to the original example, $100,000, $50,000 salary, $3,000 expense, so you have $47,000. Now you're going to expense $12,500, let's just call it thirteen. So that's $34,000 of pass-through income now left over. That's, you know, they have to pay up, right? So you, you, can, you can go ahead and hide that. And what's actually really cool about SEPs is you can even in some cases depending on your situation, depending on your retirement accounts, you can actually roll over the funds from existing retirement accounts, have a non-taxable event and roll those funds into the SEP IRA um, so long as it's done within 60 days. So you can do oh, wow. that. And then you can do, do have. Uh, another thing is HSA contributions. That's really fun to do. Um, depending on your accounting structure, if your cash basis or accrual basis, you can even backdate some cases like we were working with another friend of ours who we talked to, um, you know, he asked me, Hey, can I, you know, backdate a thousand dollar contribution additional to my HSA for last year? And this was like three weeks ago. And I said, yeah, because you use accrual accounting. Hmm. Um, now we can go into that later, but um, <laughs> each yeah, of these is like a different tangent. And I, I'm even thinking like other questions because it's like, Oh, my wife has an HSA through her, her work. Like I'm um, assuming you can't well, combine it, but Right. So like so long, like if you're married and your spouse has the ability, has access to employer health insurance, you cannot expense uh, health insurance premiums off the business Got it. Um, and neither with the HSA. OK. All right. So, so those, those are really big, five, like five really big ones. There's, you know, you, I mean, there's a lot of law changes with the uh, 
tax cuts and jobs act the trump tax cuts some people call it that um, back in 2018 there's a lot of changes a lot of things were lobbied in congress mm -hmm. to get the meals entertainment thing changed that changed a lot so you can't take somebody out and go play top golf anymore <laughs> but you can still go and as long as you're conducting business you can still travel and you can expense those meals at least for 50 percent still so um that's, you know, the, the, there's a lot of, a lot of things are changing and you know, with COVID and everything, even more and more things are changing. Like clients keep asking us, Hey, should I file my taxes or should I wait? Or like, you know, all these things. And, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, concern over that. And, um, you know, it, just things keep changing. So it's actually been really fun to be a part of the accounting industry because since the early to mid two thousands, there hasn't been a tax cut. There hasn't been a tax increase. There hasn't like been anything. So it's been very, very boring and dry, which has been good for me to learn from a, like an educational standpoint, I can learn the basics and nothing's really moving, but now things are changing. They're changing very quickly. Yeah. So that's, you know, th th there's a lot of really fun things. Uh, you know, even things that like are out there that we haven't even touched on, but kind of require special cases for individuals. So to kind of summarize the, the, you said the big ones here, um, the big one being the S corp election. Again, mm -hmm. if it makes sense for I, I, all of these are, if they make sense for each person's different uh, situation. So if, the first big one is the S corp election. The next one is um, figuring out that sweet spot for that salary through that, through the S corp election. Uh, another one being the, um, self-employed uh ira is that it sep ira yep sep ira um fourth doing an hsa if you're able to um and then another one using some of these incentives like purchasing an automobile being able to track your mileage as long as you're using it within uh at least 50 percent for for business because if not, let me let me see if I got this understood. If not, if you're using it more for personal, then you are taxed on essentially the value you are receiving by using the vehicle. It counts as income, but it's not really cash. Yeah. So what would have been depreciation is now taxed as non-cash income on your W-2. And again, depreciation means like you put that amount, that, that's reducing your tax burden, right? You're saying like- right. So depreciation is a non-cash expense. Right. Yeah. So let's say you bought the car in the name of the business and yeah. your monthly, your monthly loan payment on the car is $300 a month. In that loan payment, you pay $10 a month in interest. You get to expense that interest, but you don't expense the payment, none of that stuff, because mm -hmm. that's just principle moving back and forth. Right. Yeah. Um, but whatever the interest was, you pay you know, 10 bucks a month in interest, whatever it is, you get to expense that off the income statement. Now okay. depreciation is a non-cash expense. And that's why you know, we can save it for a later day, but that's why so many people love real estate is because you can have on paper, you can have a loss on paper, but you can have positive cash over the course mm -hmm. of the year, right? So you have loss on paper on your tax return yeah, because of depreciation because of all these things, but you can have an increase in $5,000 in cash over the course of the year um, from a rental property or something like that. Yeah. So like there's, that's, you know, that's why people hate Trump so much because he's a real estate mogul, but like you know, or anybody else that's a real estate mogul, like, you know, Grant Cardone's running into one of those. He has over a billion dollars now worth of assets under management in his companies. Mm -hmm. um, but like, that's, that is the holy grail for that. And again, that's why, you know, tax incentives exist. They exist because they want to incentivize people to do things. They want people to, they want individuals to hold, hold homes. They want individuals yeah. to manage properties that like the government doesn't want to be involved. Well, maybe the government's changing. I don't know, but you know, now we have all these like, you know, new kind of new thinking people coming into Congress and the president and this whole new administration is coming in, in the U S mm -hmm. but for the longest time, the government's wanted to have, has wanted to stay out of, you know, maintaining properties. Like that's not the role or responsibility of the job of the government is to, yeah you know, protect the homeland and also to provide for common defense, obviously, like mm -hmm. the, the constitution, right? So like it's, you know, and obviously provide for other, other services, but they don't want to be in the real estate business. Yeah. They want to incentivize people to buy real estate. They want to incentivize people to do these things, but now there's things changing in there where like, even in some of these new tax bills and things like that, that they want to get rid of or change what we call 1031 exchange, 
which is going to be very detrimental to the people that are holding real estate because 1031 exchange allows you to not pay capital gain tax on a sale of property as long as you roll it back into another deal within a period of time. Okay. So it's um, another, <laughs> another a whole other hour conversation that we can have <laughs> about that. Well, this so far has been really helpful, clarifying things that I thought I knew about and just kind of like either didn't want to think about or didn't want to, because it, I don't know. I just want to focus on writing and doing client work and, you know, I have a family. I don't want to think about like figuring out taxes and, and stuff like that. But these, at least for me, are very, again, I'm using air quotes, straightforward. I, I don't know the right word, like not simple, because again, no, none of this is simple. And a lot of it is up for interpretation, but kind of the, um, the first steps, I think, for, for anyone who's in our situation uh, that they can take or at least have these discussions with their accountants of like, here's what I want to do to get my business in a better shape legally and financially uh, from a tax standpoint. Um, so that way I'm not just unknowingly throwing away money, not throwing away, but giving away money that um, I could be using to make other incentive buys decisions let's say that <laughs> um so anything else that we can add um well i think i think you know what we we left the door open on a couple of things that we can lead into with mm -hmm. our next conversation for sure so mm -hmm. i think you know for sake of time and sanity <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, you know we can we could probably put a pin in that and we can come back and revisit those topics next time we chat and mm -hmm. uh, just kind of leading with that but uh and as far as all that goes let me just uh go ahead and stop the recording here so uh, for anybody that's using that's listening to this thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys next time take care